Welcome to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Colin Munns, and we're off and running. How the hell are we doing this week, Ian? Hey, we're, uh, we made it. We made it to episode five. We made it through another week, and uh, I think we're better for it. What do you say? Uh, you know, I, it's better. It, the sun came up this morning. I think, you know, they always say it's darkest just before the dawn, and I think last week we hit that low point, and I think we, we, the sun's starting to come up. So it's we're getting through it. We've got signs of sports, signs of everything on the horizon. It's it's good. Yeah, I think I think not only is the country kind of gaining positive momentum and starting to take steps in the right direction, but I think you could say the same about the sports world and the same about this podcast. So, you know, another another episode, and and we're off and running. Do, do you know we looking back to episode two when we talked about the exponential growth we were having from episode <laughs> one to episode two? You know, I'm not sure we met those levels of growth consistently from two to three and then three to four and then four to now four to five. But, um, you know, we can try shoot for the moon. Ebbs and flows, baby. Ebbs and flows. <laughs> all the course of a 162 game season. <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump into it. You may have forgotten, but here at the cutback podcast, we're a big fan of work-life balance or the, or the lack thereof. So we like to kick things off with, with diving into a work topic, which is, something going on in more of the business side of the sports world and, and try and give you our little armchair and, and bar stool analysis. <clears throat> so this week we thought about something that in the midst of the pandemic, we assumed would uh, really take an opportunity for growth, uh, really take an opportunity to burst onto the scene in, in more of a uh, mainstream capacity. And that is esports. Colin, uh, what do you think's going on here? No, a whole lot of nothing, uh, and that's what I think the problem <laughs> is. Um, I mean, okay, I think we gotta we gotta do a little bit of setting the scene. I think that's you. We need to paint a little uh, a word picture for people at home, like you know, because esports is very new, and I think you and I have kind of been in the I, we're that two percent, three percent, whatever percent of people that die hard sports people, and I think we're we fall in that weirdo group. So I don't think we're the common person to talk about esports so um you know just coming from warsaw and oregon and everything we kind of got an introduction i would say to esports in the last what two years it's kind of burst onto the scene and I, when i say burst i don't mean like kool-aid man coming through bursting onto the scene it was just more kind of like uh bled kind of into into sports and to me, it's just you know you're kind of witnessing this this budding league that it just it, nobody's regulating it. There's just there's so many different tournaments with so many different organizers, t- teams everywhere. There, it's just this wild wild west of of sports. Literally, no governing um, bodies, no organization. Teams are everywhere. Um, there's no consistency really, and. So, you know, when we said, Ian said, like, we thought this would be a time for it to flourish because in reality, it's the only league that can, given the circumstances, because you, we have the internet in 2020 and we have microphones. Um, and so you can play video games remotely. Like, you don't have to be somewhere to organize a tournament and play video games. So um, I think that's why we're, we're kind of saying that there's just been a missed opportunity here with the coronavirus. Yeah, and I think it's also probably important for us to kind of distinguish what exactly 
constitutes esports because I know that's something that personally, uh, kind of before getting into the Warsaw program and being exposed to it on a much kind of larger and deeper level, uh, that was something I didn't quite understand. So when I first heard esports and thought of esports, I thought of sports video games. So NBA 2K, Madden, uh, MLB The Show, different games like that, which uh, have traditionally had tournaments, you know, they're even back to when we were kids, you could watch the Madden bus tournament where they, they would drive around and guys would be kind of like representing their hometown team and have jerseys and get to interact with star players. And NBA 2K is obviously a, a, a massive, um, kind of gaming Let's undertaking. Let's put a 2K, because 2K, that's a fucked one. And, and I don't think 2K, I think 2K in the sport, esports league is is garbage because I don't think right. 2K, the way 2K is done, I don't think fits with the way the other e- quote-unquote esports leagues are operated. Correct. And I th- and I think that if we, we can see that by kind of the – lack of success of the NBA 2K league. So I th- I think the point is just for people to understand that when we talk esports we're not talking about sports video games. We're talking about games like Fortnite, League of Legends, Rocket League, uh Dota, Apex Legends. These games that are more uh either first person or team based uh, games many many times have some sort of like massive multiplayer uh, strategy games. It's kind of I, I don't. It's kind of the what I'm hearing. They call them MMPGs, I believe. Massive multiplayer RPGs, whatever. There's acronyms for days in this industry, and so it's similar to parsing through a legal textbook when you're trying to read and learn about esports. But essentially, a lot of people are capable of playing at one time. That's really what they're looking for. Correct, and I think that's a perfect way to put it. Um, so we first just wanted to make that distinction so that people are aware of, as we go down this esports conversation, those are the games that, uh, we are specifically talking about because the people who are much deeper into the esports world than, than we are tell us that those are the games that should be considered esports. Uh, let's take a quick, 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 uh, poll of the hosts here. Um, Jan, how good are you at Dota, Apex Legends, or Overwatch? Have not played a single one of those one time ever in my entire life. Okay. So I've played overwatch one time. So for those listening at home, please take our commentary with a grain of salt. Um, we are by no means professionals, um, at overwatch. If we went out and played overwatch in these in against these people, we would probably get slaughtered. Um, so w- what I'm saying is we're not, um, talking about, um, esports in that we think we can roll up and just beat these people and think that it's not a sport we're more so talking about it as a league as a whole and it's functional viability i would say is that the proper phrase um but i also want to say if anybody wants to get on the sticks on 2k and actually play 2k meet me in temecula and i'll wax that ass and i will uh i will echo that sentiment for madden or ncaa football Uh, so take your pick Yes, we actually play. We are those weirdos who actually play the sports games, the sports video games. We are the ones probably keeping the <laughs> EA and two and two K in business. Uh, so, well, I think that that's something interesting. Uh, before we kind of dive into esports, is is maybe something that was has been my biggest hurdle in terms of of understanding the legitimacy of esports. Because as a kid, I grew up. Um, as soon as I could start playing video games and my parents kind of allowed me to play video games, I was getting, 
I was buying or getting for Christmas NCAA and Madden for that year, every year. And those were the only video games I play. To this day, I love to play them. To this day, I would absolutely hate to watch other people play them. Absolutely hate it. So it's been, that was one of the biggest hurdles for me is understanding that one of the huge aspects of esports is this viewership, um, the chat functions on on broadcasting channels like Twitch, that uh, you have these massive, massive groups of people who are simply just watching people play and interacting. And that was something that was very foreign to me, even as somebody who's uh, played video games. And I think you bring up a great point. And and I, I we just to peel the curtain back for the podcast curtain back uh, for everybody at home, like. Ian and I, we, we talk about what we're going to, we kind of do an outline every week and talk about what we're going to talk about. So when esports came up um, this week, I, you know, kind of did a deep, uh, quote unquote, deep dive into, to what it would be like to be, to kind of tr- figure out the whole following of esports and, and really uh, try and see what was going, catch the, I don't know, what's the word, catch the buzz. It, I, that's such an old term, but you know what I mean? Like that's so, I feel like such a 1970s Richard Simmons commercial with catching the buzz. Anyway, um, it's just more of a, like these, you said that people go on and watch people play, which a hundred percent happens. And I'm not denying that there's these personalities out there that play these games, but my like findings, if you will, from my field research, and I'm a total like noob, just rolling in, you know, and I'd be the guy to comment hashtag first on a on a video or whatever. (laughs) But People aren't there to watch or listen to them actually play the game. They, they're they there because these people are personalities and they think they're funny. That's 99%. I, I say 99%. That's obviously a, a number, a, just an arbitrary number, and it's hard to put data on this. But most people that had high views, viewership on Twitch and YouTube, I used both, just Twitch and YouTube, both the highest viewing people weren't the best players like the actual best performers in Overwatch or the best performers in Apex Legends. It was people who got on a mic, played the game. Some of them were shitty. Some of them weren't good, like similar to me, but they just talked and they were actually funny. And so it was just, you're just listening to somebody die repeatedly in a video game is essentially all it was. Yeah, it seems like at at its core, esports is kind of this extra medium in where people can kind of connect with personalities. So if kind of with what you're talking about, if you're a not top tier gamer or even a bad gamer, but you have a personality and, and kind of make it feel like the people watching your stream are hanging out with you in your living room and are just, you're, you're all kind of having a good time. And, Oh, you also happen to like kind of be fucking around on a video game. It just shows that there's these increasing amount of ways and increasing amount of mediums, especially through the internet for content creators uh, and personalities to connect with all sorts of different audiences across all sorts of different platforms. Right. Absolutely. And I think that, and I I really came out of watching a lot of these, uh, you know, video gamers, streamers, whatever you, whatever they're called, whatever the word is feeling like it was just another Insta, another version of Instagram. Like I felt like it was like, I was just scrolling through videos instead of pictures, you know, of different personalities. Right. And I think this whole question of why are people watching online? Because 
online is still the vast majority of esports audiences. Now they have had large in-person tournaments that fill up, um, fill up uh, traditional sports stadiums and and are played for large purses. You know, a, a kid won like three million dollars in Fortnite, and they sold out Arthur Ashe Stadium in in New York. So it's like we do see that there is the ability to have uh, some in in person in audience tournaments and games and viewership and and that comes with with prize money as well but we do understand that still this lion's share of of the movement is this grassroots movement that takes place online which led us kind of to this this topic in the first place because as the coronavirus pandemic uh, took took hold in the in the United States and across the world in-person sports and sports that that solely relied on uh, in venues to be able to play were put on complete hold. And so you sat back and said, well, now in terms of sports and entertainment, what what is the option? And esports, being as as it does live primarily online and, and kind of fosters growth online, seem to be in a perfect position to capitalize on kind of the lack of presence of traditional sports so the competition right. they're trying to capitalize on everything else that what all the other leagues are trying to capitalize on they're all trying to rush to get back first because everybody is so starved for something to watch you know and something at me i am literally about to pull the 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 little bit of hair off my head that i have which i still haven't got a haircut yet due to this whole pandemic i look like i have a skin yarmulke on it's horrible <laughs> uh, but glancing over that they're all rushing back to try and capture those desperate people and i just to your point that's what twitch and esports should ha- ha- was just set up so beautifully to capture and i'm sorry i cut you off but that uh, you just painted a very good picture well and so let's talk about how it was attempted to get captured because we kind of saw two different things or have now researched and seen two different things but the first is that what got the most kind of mainstream media press and and what we as people who are not necessarily certainly not uh, avid esports fans but certainly do fall in their target demographic of people that they should be able to kind of draw on easily in this time of absence of traditional sports the esports quote unquote esports that we heard the most about were the NBA having players from each team play a 2k tournament on ESPN. We saw major league baseball do the same thing with the show. We saw NASCAR do it with iRacing, which, uh, went extremely bad for one of their, one of their, uh, one, one of their drivers. Well, explain that. Just explain a, that. <laughs> so I believe his name was Kyle Larson. Uh, Kyle Larson was a NASCAR driver, I guess, you know, not, not the largest NASCAR fan. No, here. I can't. He was a NASCAR driver for that fact check that that checks out (laughs) (laughs) and emphasis on was because uh old kyle was was on the stream and let fly a word that you simply cannot say uh and that was the n-word and i believe he potentially doubled down and let it fly twice on on their live stream and then kind of threw in a oh hey can everyone can anybody hear me uh just trying to like play it off and uh, yeah, he was basically immediately just and rightfully so uh, kind of removed from NASCAR and, and his team if there got was rid of ever him. And a sport who, that did not need 
racial gasoline thrown on it. <laughs> that was the one, but no, no <laughs> kidding. So, but, but getting back to not to go down that rabbit hole too much, I guess is this whole point was this esports void from, from our kind of like average person viewpoint was filled by these attempts by leagues to basically turn their games online. Um, and, and as we said earlier, these are not esports games. These are, these are just video games that people can play against each other, but they aren't games that fall into the esports category. So Colin, I know you did some research to kind of check ourselves on, okay, we may not have seen, um, official esports tournaments or traditional esports tournaments happening over the past few months. Uh, but can you give us into any insight into what did or what did not happen in the esports landscape over these past few months? I sure can. So I kind of dove into, and when I, and we've done a lot of talking about esports and, and, and I think what our, our previous conversations have kind of talked about mostly is like, when I originally hear esports, like sp- something with sports, I want a league. Like I want to have our competitors held equal. And I like, you know, you have a group that's constantly competing against each other and it creates a, a vacuum essentially where you have that any given Sunday moment that, you know, I, I you have a schedule of people playing each other. I want that kind of organization and setup to create statistical consistencies so you can actually tell who is the best player who is we're playing a consistent we're playing the same game you know what i'm saying which that doesn't happen in esports and that's kind of what i am found because right now all we have is these tournament models um and it's it's very similar to aau except the only difference is aau they're all playing basketball whereas in esports these tournaments you go to if you rocked up at the wrong tournament you could be playing the completely wrong game. Like you could, if you just showed up at a, a turn, a gaming tournament, one tournament could be playing overwatch. Another one could be playing Dota. Another one could be playing apex legends. Another one could be playing insert XYZ game here. So you, it's just there, there's no consistency and we're all playing the same game or we're all competing against each other. It's just, just a regional tournament model. And so over the last two months, there was of April and May, there was five, one, two, five, six, six tournaments globally held. Um, the biggest one was the MPLID um, game where they played Apex Legends against each other that reeled in, garnered 1.1 million viewers globally for the entire tournament. Which for those listening at home, you're probably like, wow, 1.1 million people to watch people play video games. That's not bad. Um, for frame of reference, standard baseball game, middle of July baseball game that usually nobody gives two you-know-whats about. Pulls, depending on your market, obviously the Yankees pull more and the Rays pull less. So your average middle of July baseball game pulls anywhere between 850,000 and 1.1 million people. So what we found is that in this time when esports had a chance to get regulated, had a chance to, to really make itself, I don't know, relevant, they've now reached the relevancy of a mid-July Kansas City Royals game. Yeah, and I think some more context to add to that is not only is it a 
middle of the season, regular season baseball game, which many people in sports, uh, not us because we enjoy baseball, but many people that are sports fans would say like the dog days of summer is the worst time to be a sports fan because all you have are these regular season uh, middle of the week baseball games. There's people that don't even know there's sports in summer. There's literally a a segment of the population that does not know sports are played from, from June to September. Like, Correct. And I think that even that even kind of makes this point even stronger for us is that so even with all of those things at play, that average uh, middle of the summer baseball game has 850 to 1000 to 1.1 million people watching and that those games are are basically strictly regionally broadcast. So if you don't live in the market of the home team or the away team, you don't even have a chance to watch it versus these esports um, events and tournaments, which are quite literally globally available to view. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, and, I mean, and that, you know, that presents a whole nother can of worms, you know, cause if you broadcast a NBA game, well, NBA is not a good example. NFL game globally. How many viewers does it get? The Super Bowl, to, for comparison, Super Bowl is a hundred million viewers on average, about a hundred million viewers. So we're at 1% of the Super Bowl now. Now, like I'm not the Super Bowl is obviously the mecca of viewership in sports. I don't think I mean what compares to the Super Bowl in view maybe the World Cup. Does that even get close? I I wish I had the numbers at, off the top, but I would assume World Cup is probably close. Uh and I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some s- specific like Olympic events are up there as well, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure off the top of my head. But 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 yes, I mean so to me, the the whole point is everybody's talking of this big surge of esports taking over the world, and watch out, here they come. Like I feel like this was the petri dish of conditions that was perfect for esports. Like this was the all the you literally were given the stars aligned, take off. Like this was the launching pad, and I just feel like they launched all the way to your midday baseball game in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, and I thought you brought up a point that has also been, I think, a tough like barrier to entry for people to become esports fans, and that is the organizational structure. So I think you and I both knew nothing about it as of this time two or three years ago, um, and have since learned that, okay, like like you kind of mentioned, it's more it's more organized by game, but you have some uh, like companies that are trying to be organizing bodies and they put on tournaments for multiple games. Um, you have different teams or gaming organizations um, like phase clan is a big one. Uh, I think team liquid is maybe another big one where they are kind of a collective of players who play multiple different games. And, and they've also even become essentially like culture brands and lifestyle brands. They have clothing lines and vlogs and all all this type of stuff. So it it's difficult for a new person other than going on Twitch and watching a single player play esports, which uh, isn't helping like competitive esports grow at all. It's hard for somebody to understand how they can kind of thrust themselves into the organizational structure of esports because it still seems to be very green uh, and very much trying to figure itself out. And because they are still in that state of kind of many parties at play and 
and people kind of operating somewhat independently in, in different spheres, it feels like that's potentially one of the reasons they weren't able to capitalize on this few month vacuum of lack of traditional sports. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a, a great, a great way to put it. And I think, you know, it, it just, to me, it feels like we're, we, they're lacking the whole organization of everything in order they without organization, there's, you're pulling in just 19 different ways and it, it just spreads out instead of, you know, building something up. Um, but real quick, I want to do a, a quick fact check of, of ourselves Cause I, I think we might've misspoke or, or confused people with what we were saying. The regional sports networks, the 1.1, 850,000 to 1.1 million. That is the national nationally broadcast games, regional sports networks for those keeping score at home. Um, the average nationwide is only 600,000, um, viewers for regional games in July, same month, same everything. That's 600,000. We were the, the 850,000 is July average. Um, when it's on Fox TBS or any other national ESPN, those three. Okay. So that's good to know. So it, it's certainly making strides. Um, I don't think anybody is arguing that it's making strides. It's more of, did it make as big a strides as it could have during these? And I think that's the point. And that's what we're, I think that's what we're getting across is this was the opportunity, a golden, very golden opportunity that one could argue that was missed. Yeah. And you said something at the very beginning that I kind of wanted to maybe circle back on to, to wrap it up for us where you talked about how, when you, when you look at individual streamers on Twitch or on YouTube, the numbers are coming from people who are the best at connecting with their audience, the best at getting their personality across, not necessarily the best players. So that kind of tied itself into some of the, kind of stats and and anecdotes that i was able to come across well, i think that also goes st- to the you're not you, you can't it's harder like that's the counter argument to everything we're saying i think if that's the whole point like that's your success your success stories are the people who aren't good at your product they're just personalities you, you're not you're not a sport you're not sports like that's the like if you're if your whole revenue model is not determined by the winner is the best one. You're not a fucking sport. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I have, I have a couple thoughts. The first is for some reason that made me think of the world series of poker, which I think is still broadcast, but, but like when we were in middle school, high school, like world series of poker was huge on ESPN. And that was kind of this interesting mix where there were certain players who definitely became more like household names because of their personalities, but their personalities were only able to shine and and kind of gain legitimacy because they were always at the final table and they had millions of dollars in winnings. So it, their personality was able to shine after they proved themselves as a as a like valid competitor. And you're saying that that's not necessarily what's happening in the esports and specifically in the kind of streaming, the streaming realm. Yes, and I'm saying that the the esports realm is so wild and free, or wild wild west, whatever you know term you want to use that that you're not your people are glomming onto these personalities instead of glomming onto the leagues, and so you're seeing more money being revenue, more generate revenue generation coming from that streaming side of things 
as opposed to these esports leagues. Yeah, and I think the perfect, quite literally, the perfect encapsulation of that is what we've seen with uh, Big Cat from Barstool and what he's done as he's uh, kind of streamed live on Twitch himself playing NCAA 14 and going through like a dynasty coach gameplay mode. So you talked about how it's difficult for for people to garner streams. I saw things that talked about basically you're an elite streamer on Twitch if you can get uh, 50,000 plus concurrent viewers during a stream. Looking into to Big Cat playing NCAA 14 and not very well most of the time, a lot of people would say he averages over 60,000 concurrent viewers. Uh, I was on a stream over the weekend kind of watching him play a game uh, where he had, I was one of 70,000 plus people watching it at that time. So you even look at who has potentially capitalized uh, off this like esports market the most over the pandemic. It's a personality and somebody who brought their following to Twitch, uh, brought their following to a game that doesn't even fit in the esports realm but shows that that ability to kind of connect with audiences via streaming is there, but it hasn't translated into uh, kind of an organizational structure that could capitalize on more like traditional broadcast deals, even if they were solely online. Uh, great points. Um, but I think you, you left out the number one thing people care about at home. Um, could you beat Big Cat in a game of NCAA 14? I think I probably could. Uh, Are we using the rough riders when you play him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would play him with whatever team. I think he uses about like the same three or four plays on offense. And so uh, he went to the Al Borges school of, of offensive play calling. Exactly. <laughs> but he it's, it has been funny because he has certainly gotten better. Like he, he's definitely gotten better. Cause I've, I've uh, been victim of, of kind of like throwing it on in the background. If I'm like playing a video game or, or kind of doing whatever, just because he's kind of funny and his commentary of how much he sucks sometimes is pretty funny. Hold on. There he's we have it folks. There we have it in the same, same episode. We have Ian Burley slandering the people who go watch people, other people play video games and admitting that he watches them in the very same video or in the same episode. It's incredibly, it's been incredibly surprising to me. And I will still like kind of note that that's never the only thing I'm doing, which I wonder if that is, um, if that's kind of consistent a with view a is a people view. who are turning into the, you don't, you, you don't, right, you know, your view count doesn't get discriminated. So when you're saying you've got 70,000 viewers, if I'm just, I could be vacuuming my house. If I have it on the TV, it counts. Right. Well, my, my mind went to like, I wonder if I'm not in the minority of people who may have it on more in the background. And if there's, if we can get to like statistics about that, that would then lead into um, kind of in-stream ads and and things like that, which are starting to pop up in esports because obviously brands know that the eyeballs are there, so they're trying to get uh, involved. But I mean, I think there's already a shit ton of data out there about how many, how much, how many screens we're looking at at the same time. I mean, everybody's art. Like even when you have a YouTube video up, ninety nine percent of people again arbitrary ninety nine percent, which that might turn into a thing on this podcast. But um, have their phone in their hand and are scrolling Instagram while watching or whatever or sending text messages. I mean, we're a, we are 
messed up in that in how much we look at screens. Uh, there's no denying that. Yeah, we we just look at one screen or another for basically the entire time that we're. Oh, away. it's it's disgusting. Like you get that that notif, and this will be a good way to kind of transition, I guess. But do you do you get that notification on your phone that's like your average screen time this week was X amount of time? No, nah, I think I turned that shit off because I didn't need that uh that like negative. Uh, discipline in my yeah, life no, nobody needs that negative that negativity in their life we're trying it's po- 2020 needs more positivity in it for sure <laughs> yeah so let's kind of let's kind of wrap this up and attempt to put a bow on it i think the conclusion that we reached is that esports is certainly growing um there certainly is an audience that is kind of there and and ready to interact and it grows kind of on a daily basis and we believe that uh, it would it would behu- behoove themselves to kind of enter into more of a organizational structure to kind of help people get in get away from solely just watching individual streamers and get more into watching the competitive esports landscape, uh, which is even growing at a grassroots level at like high schools and colleges around the country. And, or and yes, yes to everything he said, but. Uh, if you th- let's call a space spade, we you can already tell who the LeBron James of esports is. Like we've already set up who your Michael Jordans, your LeBron James, your Wilt Chamberlains, your your Bill Russells of this league would be. It's the people who are personalities and kick ass at the game. Like it's already set up. Like it literally, you will that that is who you're looking for. And there's already people out there like that are personalities. And I'm sure you could find some who are good if with a handful of hours on YouTube. Like, yeah, I mean, I think like Ninja is the one that basically yeah, right. comes to mind. Oh, and there's so he, many. I mean, there's so there, and the names are ridiculous. Ninja, PewDiePie, video game donkey. I mean, there's just like it, you could like the names are equally ridiculous, but you could do it. Yeah, and, and I think you allowed for a little bit of a loose segue talking about uh, how to foster success because that's what we want to talk about if for loose play segue is my middle name. <laughs> it was a, uh, I think it was a little tough to get there, but I think we got there and we've successfully transitioned. If you can't connect those dots, go ahead, go take a shot of tequila and then come back. <laughs> Oh, and also on this podcast, we certainly advocate shots of tequila for basically any occasion. Yes. Whatever your vice is, I advocate it. (laughs) (laughs) I specifically advocate tequila as one of many vices, but (laughs) so we, we have a couple different, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is topics. I was trying to think of a cooler, cooler word to outdo myself there, but we we have a couple different topics and questions that we posed here as a part of a part of our play segment. So I'll go ahead and pose the first one. Last week we talked a little bit about the ability for coaches or the ability of professional or collegiate or even high school sports organizations to kind of foster a culture of winning and uh kind of quickly mused about what that looks like. So I I would like to pose a question to you, Mr. Munz of I've kind of put together two different options here in terms of how I think, especially at the collegiate level um, are kind of the two options to 
foster that culture of winning. Uh, and I think that you and I have seen both of them. So I'm very curious to hear your thoughts of what kind of better allows somebody to do that. Is it option A where you have a coach uh, or an owner, whoever it may be, who is kind of this true authoritarian leader that sets the culture from the top down? Or is it a coach or owner, or, or owner that creates this system that allows for, uh, allows for culture to foster from within and relies on players to assume prime leadership positions rather than coaches? See, all right, you. This isn't fair. I, you, this is not <laughs> fair because I, I hate you. Did this to me on purpose, and I hate it. Because uh, you know the answer is it, it fucking depends. Like that's such a it's <laughs> such a garbage question. Fake, you are fake news. Um, but so Jan asked a very leading question. My belief is that you can't it's not black and white like it's not option a option b is my belief like i i think you have to put the goal posts up like from option a i'm i'm, I'm p- picking pieces of each part i guess so from option a i think you have to have a figurehead somebody who has a brain and and not a total a-hole who puts the the goal posts up like the the core values if you will, of an organization to keep everybody in check, you know, to, to say, Hey, this is where we're, we're all around. Now there's a lot of things that could go wrong there. If that's not the right figure in that spot, all everything else from here on out goes to crap. Um, so flipping the coin and looking at option B without a, without everybody bought into the system that you're putting in place, it's not going to work period. So just a little bit about my background in with coaches. I've worked, I worked five seasons in college football for five different head coaches. Okay. Um, without naming names, all five were incredibly different. Like to the extent that there's more differences between them than there are similarities and they all did the same job. And I think that's crazy. And just the way that the, the whole build when you feel inside, when you walked in the building was different just because of who the head coach was, who that, that figurehead from option a was like, I mean, there was coaches I worked for when I literally opened the football building door, you're just like this feeling of fear and just like, I don't want to be here. Like you get pit sweat and you're just like, you're anxious and on edge constantly, which for some guys that works, you know, you're constantly just on edge and you're alert and you're just some guys that it clicks other guys, they melt, you know? And so I think that kind of goes into the option B side of things where you got to have everybody bought into that figureheads, goalposts they all everybody has to be inside the goalposts but that is what i'm saying option so my gray my set up the gray is option a sets up the goalpost option b everybody needs to be inside the goalposts that are set up so within that model which i think is is a fair answer to a tough question because i do think that we can agree that especially let's first kind of talk about the collegiate level your culture has to be set by the head coach and and if they want to have a kind of senior leadership group 
uh, of like selected players that, that they kind of meet with. And those players serve as a liaison between the larger locker room and the coach. And they kind of work together to tinker with the culture and the values. I think that that's fine, but that original culture in those goalposts certainly has to be set by the coach. It's what they recruit on. It's how they decorate the walls of the, of the football building. It's fucking what they stitch into jerseys sometimes. I mean, it's, it, it defines a coach is kind of what are his sayings? What's his so culture? So you asked how me does- a bullshit question. Let me ask you one. Uh, and I'm not even going to give you a question. I'm going to make it a statement because I'm that kind of person. Define culture because you kept throwing the word culture around. Define that. That's a that's that is a loaded and deep question. I think culture you can play is, your little bullshit question game. <laughs> I think you kind of I think you kind of answered it a little bit. Culture is the is kind of the vibe or the feeling that you get around and within a group. So it starts with how you feel when you walk into a building, what the energy is like, what the attitudes are like culture then goes into the way of how you go about your business for a football team. It's how do we practice every day? How do we meet every day? Uh, how do we treat people in the building? How do we, how do we, uh, go on, on away trips? You know, how, how do we conduct ourselves both as individuals as, and as a team? So I think culture is kind of this broad umbrella uh, term that essentially serves as your standard operating procedures. I, I agree. All of them. I think that yeah, I think you summed that up way better than I could, and that was brilliant. But I w- then I'm going to ask the the follow up question, which I think is the hard the the easier part. So you already got an A plus in my book, but channel your inner Craig Leone. Shout out Craig. Um, why does culture matter? I think culture is is ultimately because if the, I'm kicking your ass week in week out what do I give a, a why do I care about culture like if if I if I'm winning if I'm the New York Yankees in the early 2000s and I have 27 world series championships and I am beating your ass every single day and nobody's getting close why do I care about culture yeah so I'm kind of just putting this together now because even the way that you just said that where like um, it made me think of the last dance documentary documentary and like many of those players would have said the culture wasn't great, but we won. So I think that it's kind of, I think this, why does culture matter? I think it kind of fits into this like old adage of like um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So if you're not the elite team talent wise, um, if, if you're not the elite athlete talent wise, culture can be something that a, a successful and like positive culture can be something that elevates your talent above what it would if that culture wasn't there. Yeah. And I, and I think on the, on the exact opposite side of that coin, if you have two very good teams and one has a good culture and one doesn't, I think that culture could be the the X factor, quote unquote, or, you know, whatever an X factor is, but like the difference maker between two very good teams. Yeah. And I think you're starting to see that both in sports and in like the business world where when a recruit or somebody entering the job force is kind of looking at different teams or different uh, companies to kind of take their next step with, 
especially now in college football and and then in the work life, these teams and companies are getting much closer in terms of like amenities and um, even like ability to be good. You know, there's there's certainly maybe a a, a smaller one A tier of college football teams, but that one B tier and two A tier that always have an outside chance is getting bigger and bigger. So if you're an elite player, you're not necessarily just just taking them off the board. So you're now looking at what's their culture like, like that's the buzzword, like look into a team's culture, look into a company's culture. And that, as you said, is kind of serving as uh, the final, the final like checklist where all else equal uh, recruits or people entering the job force are going to go with the option that provides them the better culture. And I think, and, and I, and I love what you said. I think it's so true. And I think, you know, I want to go into ops long-term. I have, that's, I've made that clear on this show. So, you know, if you're listening, I want to go into ops. So, and I think the ops person has to have a finger on the pulse of the culture, if not more than that, at bare minimum, you have to have a finger on the pulse of the culture. And I think it's important, you know, that you say it's culture's kind of turned into this buzzword, which I think it absolutely has. And just like you said, it's this buzzword that people are like, oh, yes, we're trying to build this good culture. And I think in college football, it is borderline pandemic level of how bad it is where they just say, oh, yes, we have a culture. But in reality, yes, you have a culture, but it's not the culture you're trying to foster you know what i'm saying like they, they're they're trying to create this we're badasses culture and in reality it's the most toxic environment you've ever been around in your life and you, like for me there was a coach that the pit sweat guy like I, I literally hated and i love sports i love working i love going to work every day i will work i work the most hellacious schedule you'll ever hear while i was in law school and working for the football team like it was but I loved every second of it. And, but we had one of the most toxic cultures I've ever been a part of in any part of ever. It was the most toxic from top to bottom. And, and it just, it, and, but that wasn't what was being portrayed, you know? And so it, it's that buzzword of, yeah, we have a great culture and you try to say all these things, but when you actually put it in practice, is it actually being felt throughout the organization? And I think that's where you're seeing this disconnect. And I think you brought up the last dance and it came out beautifully there. They, they said, Oh yeah, there's this great culture. But then now that you hear everybody, they were really just getting dragged along by arguably the greatest player of all time and arguably the greatest coach of all time. Right. And you, it's hard not to wonder that if, MJ wasn't MJ and Phil Jackson wasn't Phil Jackson, would those tactics and those actions have worked? Would they have won six? And I think clearly the answer is no. And I think that's why you got in the, we're in this pickle, if you will, now where people are saying who's better, Michael or LeBron. And I think it's impossible to like, I I don't think time will eventually tell, like we're going to get the the last dance documentary. We're going to get the equivalent for LeBron. It's just not here yet. I mean, we're, LeBron is too too awesome of a guy and and too big of a name and what he's been for basketball is too big for not for there not to be a last dance documentary of LeBron. Like, can we agree on that? Yeah, I I certainly agree. And he's also way too smart of like a business person to have not 
already had documentary style cameras following him, him along since he was in high school. So the footage is there. They know the appetite will be there. It's just a matter of time. And I, and I think there's a reason they wait for so long too. Um, I think, you know, my, the, uh, let's just dive into this and just kind of make a few quick points and then we'll transition. But the last dance, like think about the timing of when they released the last dance, like Michael Jordan, I was on the back half of Michael Jordan's career. Like I, I was born in 93. So first one they won, obviously the Rockets come in and win the two in the middle, go Rockets. And if anybody wants to argue that the Bulls would have won the two in the middle, I will fight that to my, meet me in Temecula. And, and then the back half they win. So I remember that part of Michael. I remember Michael in the Wizards uniform, all that. Like that was my memory of Mike. You now it's kind of, it's been what, 20 years? A little over 20 years, 22 years now since, the, yeah, since Michael man. Jordan's been gone from the Bulls. So my generation is the one that is the last one to remember really Michael Jordan, like see Michael Jordan play. So you wait 20 more years, the whole 20 years of people never saw him play, probably don't even know who he is outside of YouTube videos. And so they dropped that documentary 20 years later and they immediately engrossed the generation behind us you know what i'm saying and they and all those people immediately got an insight into michael jordan and I love it or hate it michael jordan is not is not millennial lebron james in how he runs stuff like michael jordan uh, is I, if you watched the last dance and said yeah michael jordan he's pretty soft I, I, that's not that's not how it comes across whereas all you hear about lebron in the media is how soft he is, how mentally weak he is. He's choke artist and clutch moments, like all that shit, you know? And I just feel that when we actually get this documentary, it's a chance for, it obviously was a chance for Michael to repaint history and give it to the new crowd and kind of reinvigorate his hype. And I think the same thing will happen with LeBron. I think when LeBron retires, fast forward 20 years, he'll drop up, drop it and we'll, Oh, we miss LeBron. Yeah. And I think, I think like, the, both the last dance and then us just kind of seeing LeBron really throughout his entire career. Like it, the dichotomy between the two kind of shows the brilliance of both of them in terms of their leadership. So I think we know for sure that at the time of MJ and in that era, his style of leadership was not necessarily well received, but it uh, was effective. Now with LeBron, on top of of what you mentioned, one thing that I think also people hold him against, hold against him is like, oh, he's friends with all these guys. He's friends with players on other teams. He's just kind of happy go lucky all the time. But I think you can flip that into showing, for better or for worse, for whatever reason, athletes now, especially in basketball, respond to that type of leadership much better because LeBron has still been wildly successful individually on the court. He's still been wildly successful um, from a team team standpoint on the court. And I think the documentary will show the future documentary will show that he got uh, plenty of teams to places that they had absolutely no business being. Um, So I I think you make a valid point. No, no. I said, Michael dragged the bulls to the finals there. If LeBron did a way bigger drag job of the those horrible Cleveland Cavaliers teams that he just single-handedly dragged through the Eastern Conference year in and year out. 
in the in the late two thousand late two thousands and early two thousand tens. Before before the yeah. I'm taking my talents to South Beach debacle, whatever year that was. Before all of that, when he dragged that crappy Cavaliers team to the finals by himself, and I'm not a LeBron guy, but you, you as as a, a normal sports guy, name name the best help that LeBron had on any of those teams. If your answer is not so, Mo Williams, you're wrong. Yeah, and, I mean, and I, and how many of our listeners even know who Mo William Mo Williams is? I was thinking of like the Eastern, the tall, like Eastern European dude that he had on those early Drunus Ilgalskis. What a, what a call there. That's, that's nice. Yeah. Or, or his boy Delante West. Yeah, or you could drop an Antoine Walker in there or Eric Snow. I mean, l- l- like these are all household names for me, household, household names, but like nobody knows, nobody knows. And those are finals. They went all the way to the finals with that ragtag bunch of misfits yeah and i think this kind of helps us maybe wrap this list this bit up because it shows that multiple styles of leadership are able to uh kind of realize the same result yeah and and, so when we develop the culture like the the, the leadership styles develop and have to fit in those goalposts kind of bringing us back full circle have to fit in those goalposts that you, though your figurehead sets up. And I would argue that for a lot of people, LeBron is your figurehead. Certainly. And, and I think that's an interesting thing that I've always seen the difference between collegiate and pro sports. And part of it is because of just like the kind of constant turnover in collegiate sports with, with recruiting classes. But at the collegiate level, the figurehead more times than not, maybe almost every single time is the head coach where in professional sports outside of Bill Belichick and at a time, Phil Jackson, the figurehead, the figure, (laughs) I mean, he wants to be a figurehead, but the figurehead is always a player. It's not a coach or it's not an owner outside of those couple scenarios, which is part of the reason why professional sports is so much different than, than collegiate. I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why it's different, but you have to, in professional sports, your figurehead can, and in a lot of ways should be a player and your, your role, those role playing guys that need to fit in the mold, if you will, that you were talking about kind of turns into your owner and your front office personnel in professional sports. Yeah. Versus in, in collegiate sports, it's easier for a coach to just say, I'm going to be the leader because um, if they are going to run a system, which I think we saw a coach that we both worked with kind of run was he set the goalposts, he set the culture, um, but he really hoped and looked on a player or a group of players to step up and, and kind of assume that figurehead and leadership role. And in the years that that did happen, the team was successful in the years that it didn't happen, the team wasn't successful. So then it just puts an onus on you better fucking recruit your ass off and get the right guys in there. So it makes sense as to why in college, because um, the coaches just want to be the figureheads because that is kind of like one less step that they have to figure out on the recruiting trail. And, and I know you've been trying to wrap this up and I've dragged on for, for <laughs> Ian has been, I, I don't know if y'all been listening very closely, but Ian has literally dropped me cues about four times now to wrap this up and move on. And I won't let him. Cause I hate this. I just feel this is such a good topic. 
but I feel like even in professional sports, you have the other end of the spectrum. Look at the Toronto Raptors last year. I think that, you know, yes, you could argue Kawhi was the figurehead, but I think you could also argue Nick Nurse had had some say in that being that figurehead. I, I There was probably a lot of figureheads there, but I think that shows you that it can work both ways in professional sports, which also speaks to the complex the why professional sports is so much more complex than collegiate sports and will always will be and will never be close but again i'll let ian chop us off there <laughs> sometimes our uh, our train gets off the tracks but whenever sometimes it gets off one our track train always goes off the tracks i haven't kept the train on track since nom like are you <laughs> kidding me the good thing is the tracks that it lands on are always still uh, very good, good tracks. So we're never, we're never really that bad. But you mentioned uh, professional sports, so I'll go ahead and work the uh, segue machine and say that professional sports are starting to come back. Uh, the one that seems the most pertinent and the most tangible and is and is definitely going to happen the quickest E-sports. is the M. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different debate for a different Damn, time i really uh, but, thought they were set up to do it i thought they would come back the fastest what happened <laughs> that is a question uh that, w- that you and i may never be able to answer but uh the nba is going to orlando for the tournament what do you think uh the lucky bastards get to go to disney world i mean like, <laughs> um what do i think i mean i i think i'm excited i guess um i think in reality, there's so much to unpack. So real quick, and this is just, I mean, because Jan's trying to speed us along. So real quick, 10,000 foot view of what's happening. If you haven't heard, open an internet browser or crawl out of the rock you've been under. Um, the NBA is coming back, 22 team format, 13 teams from the West, nine from the East. Uh, for those keeping it score at home, the West is indeed factually better than the East, and it has now been put in writing. So kiss my ass on that if you've argued there. Um, now, uh, 22 teams in there. It was a 29-1 vote for those keeping score at home. The one team that voted no was Portland. Shout out Portland Trailblazers. They voted no not because they didn't like the plan. They actually voted no because they only wanted 20 teams in instead of 22 um, because obviously if you, they're the nine seed in the West. So fewer teams in, they have a better chance of making the playoffs. Doesn't matter uh, C- that CJ McCollum made a statement about how much he loves the Blazers and because they voted no read about that. If you care, um, they basically are all going to Orlando. They're going to play across three different facilities in uh across the world wide world of sports complex down there. Uh, I butchered that name Disney. Uh, and basically there's no fans there. Each, every team is allowed a squad of 35 people they can bring plus the three officials plus an alternate official. So essentially we're looking at about 40 people, uh, in total for each game. They're going to play six games a day, uh, across these three courts, there's four hours in between for sanita- sanitation and yada, yada, yada. All that jazz. Read about it. It's pretty interesting. Put the players in a bubble in Orlando. Um, one thing I want to circle back to, Ian, and ask you that I thought was really interesting that they're voting on, and I think this is a great idea because it goes into our home court conversation that's later. But I wanted to ask you, since we're kind of here, since it's in the proposal and they're going to vote for it, uh, a proposal that's come up is should the best teams be 
currently, so if you're coming in as the Lakers right now or the Bucks, which are obviously your two one seeds, um, they're get, saying that those seeds should get to pick their hotels that they stay in first uh, because they're removing the home court advantage uh, from this since we're all playing in Orlando or at a neutral site. Uh, so I want to ask you, one, tell me about your experience with home court advantage. Is it a thing? Does it exist? Two, tell me about your experience when you go on the road. How would you feel about choosing your hotel, choosing your living situation? How big of an impact would that have? Well, I think that they should definitely let the top seeds, like it should be a, uh, kind of like a draft order of picking their hotel. I think that that's a pretty cool thing. And realistically, there's no hotel on Disney's property that like isn't a nice resort and like hotel. Oh, so I no, think it'd be cool to make the bottom choice, like a palace in or so, or like a, like <laughs> something just like an economy in on the free on, like the, on the eye, whatever that's running through Orlando. Well, what's funny is that uh, Disney's property in Orlando, the like economy, uh, resort option is called the all sports resort where they've got like a turf football field with like X's and O's on it. They've got like a basketball court. So that's like as, as economy as it gets. And it's, it's certainly different than staying at some of the nicer resorts, but it would be funny that, uh, if the team who got the last pick and ended up at the worst hotel also ended up at a sports branded, <laughs> like hotel option on Disney's property. I also think it would be funny. The team that ends up at animal kingdom, um, you know, if they have like a parrot wake up in their room or something, you know, or a giraffe outside their window when they're going to practice, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. So to get to your actual question, what do I think about home court advantage going on the road? I definitely from experience think that home court advantage plays uh, a huge role in the success of a team. I think uh, on one hand, it's just kind of the friendly confines. It's what it's, you know, a gym that you're comfortable playing in. It's a field that you're comfortable with the atmosphere. Also, you're more likely to have a majority of your own fans uh, in that atmosphere for the average person. The atmosphere at home helps them perform better than the atmosphere on the road. Now I say the average person because in my days of, uh, of athletics at the high school level and, and even traveling with the team uh, to, to film for Michigan, I fucking love going on. The Me road. too. And, and that's what I, I think you're, you're saying a, a, a very interesting thing though. Like, and, and I, because I don't think we should be looking at this home road because we have sucked the atmosphere to shout out Tracy McGrady. We have literally sucked the gravity right out of the building. There's nobody there. You're not playing on the road anymore. Like it, it, you are now playing in an, it's Gilbert, you're Gilbert arenas. You're in an empty gym. Yeah. And it's, man, that that's a really good point because I think how the home court advantage or the home fan advantage is so positive for uh, most people. It's also getting, getting that like negative energy from the fans when you go on the road is also incredibly powerful for some teams. I, and I'm one of and those I, people too. Just like you said, I get, I, it's, I am one of the guys that does, I enjoy going on the road better because I think it, there's less distraction. Like there's less noise. You're in a hotel, you're by yourself. You can just zone out, focus on what you need to focus on. And then you have people booing you or cheering against you, which for me, I could internalize that. I get mad. And then I do, I play better. 
Like that would be, um, and I'm sure there's other people that are the same way. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I mean, in high school, going to different gyms or different fields, different diamonds and showing up like, uh, we may be in the away Jersey, but this is our fucking field. This like we're here and, 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 uh, we're going to put on the show for your fans. And then even traveling with Michigan, you know, you go to a place like Purdue or UConn or, uh, what was another one? Cause, cause we hit them last week, Northwestern, where you're almost very let down by the atmosphere. And, and you see that the team actually plays fucking way sloppier in those games versus when you show up at Notre Dame, you show up at a, a whiteout in Penn state, you show up in East Lansing, you go you out show up in Bozeman, Montana for, for, you know, David, the fighting David Roths to take on whoever they're playing in the ruckus crowd there. Well, and I'm telling you when, when you're on the bus and, and, you know, you're going to the stadium and you see fans flipping you off and yelling at you. I'm like, I'm going to film the best game of my <laughs> life right now. I'm not going to miss a single play. The, the, the scanning of the camera, the zooming in and there out. There will be like, no bars, be a, no bars whatsoever. No bars, no bars. It's going to be a fucking performance here. Like they're going to put this film out as how to film a football game uh, for a collegiate football organization. And so if I'm feeling that just in fucking a, a polo and khakis, any player, in my opinion, worth their salt is seeing that on the bus and being like, oh, yeah, it's time to go. But so to to kind of long windedly get back to your point. Do of, we do anything short windedly? I mean, come on. We've had how much feedback to shorten this podcast and we can't do it. Like we literally can't <laughs> do it. Like <laughs> if, if 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 we were short-winded, we would have never even gotten to the idea of having a podcast. That's so true. Like, and to all of you telling us to shorten this, like, sorry, <laughs> like, that's pretty much all I've got for you. Your feedback has been heard, but we've also basically said, nah, nah. <laughs> like that. Uh, all of your feedback has been very constructive, and I'll tell you, ninety-nine percent. Another. That's the third ninety-nine percent drop I've had today. I probably should watch that. Uh, but. Vast majority, there we go, of your feedback has been heard. Um, and taking into account the we're too long one, that one's hard. So if you're going to tell us to keep cutting it, tell us what we should cut, and then we might help you. Anyway, back to home That's court. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that there's not going to be any atmosphere because uh, I, I found a, a study done by her name is Courtney Williams from Samford University. She studied the Ooh, Stanford 2000 Pac 12. No, Sam. Ooh, Samford Bulldogs. Even better. Yeah. Yep. Is oh, can so, we get the conference there? A 10? I don't think it's the A 10. I want to say, I don't know. I would guess like God, right as we, right as we ask it. people to tell us stuff to cut, we pull this shit. So that that's <laughs> probably. Uh, Southern Conference. Southern. Okay. So she she did a study on the 2009 through 2018 NBA playoffs. Throughout that decade of NBA playoffs, there were 150 different series between teams. Uh, teams with the home court advantage won 111 out of those 150, wow. which is a 74% clip. Just based on that stat alone, um, and she had some other interesting ones, but they all basically tell the same story that in the decade leading up to today, essentially, especially in the NBA, teams who have that home court advantage are basically, I mean, as close as to a lock to win as you're going to get. 
if, if you're a betting man. So but how I think do you there's think there's more that-, that goes into that lock though? Because if you have home court advantage, you're you are the better team on on in the playoffs, not not regular season. Which so in the playoffs in the NBA, you are the better team. So you statistically should win on a neutral court too, right? Yeah, and she she had some interesting kind of slices of how um that percentage was higher in like the first round because obviously hypothetically the uh not even hypothetically but the the talent between the two teams is skewed greatly uh, because if you're the one seed playing the eight seed like you're going to have home court advantage and you're going to be way better so you should win but that percentage still held true even as you got into conference and conference finals and NBA finals uh when at those times the teams are much more equal in terms of talent on the court yeah, uh, and uh, and so I, I agree. I mean, but that so that all plays out like you would, would imagine it would. But I think it's just something to keep in mind when we're talking home court, like in the importance of it. Like I, I kind of when I first pro- pro- projected this question to you, it was more. It, it was gonna the plan was, and I know we this kind of circles back to we always get off track. But the plan was uh, for me to fall into what's the what's it matter if I'm the five seed now like what do i care like because if i'm the five seed at this point uh, and there's no chance of me falling to six or even of me going to four like i should statistically as a team now i would think i should just start trying to play my matchups to get who i want to to play instead of chasing home court yeah and i think you're talking about how they play those kind of like eight eight the remaining eight regular season games before going into the tournament. Exactly. I, yeah, I I'm saying I, that you're in, in theory, this could cause teams to throw games because home court's gone out the window. And now if I'm the, let's look at my team because my team's a great example, the Rockets and the sixth seed, like what incentive is there for the Rockets to win? Uh, uh, because frankly, like the sixth seed is probably where they want to be. If you, if, based on matchups and where everybody else is, you get a weak first round opponent that I think they could probably beat in Denver or, and, or, um, gosh, Utah. Utah. Thank you. Um, blanked, right. As the spotlight came on. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you get a weak first round opponent and you avoid the Lakers until the Western conference finals. I mean, so like the whole point of, there's no, there's no incentive anymore for the Rockets to chase the four seed. Right, but there is incentive for them to make sure they stay in the sixth seed. Well, I don't. I mean, just looking at the numbers, you, they're not going to fall out. They already cl- they already clinched the spot. Uh, so the it, it, looking at the playoff, they're already in, and they're they're far enough. There's pretty much three tiers have separated themselves out in the West. But without diving too deep into what the Western Conference looks like and how crazy that could be, but there's three tiers that have shaken out pretty much the only tier that matters is that bottom tier to figure out who the last two teams that are going to be have that playing game are. Okay. That's good to know because that was my first question of like, well, I, I certainly agree with, with your point of if teams were smart, I think they're looking at, okay, who do we want to face? How can we maybe pick which games to, to play? Because they also want to make sure that their team is ready to go for the playoffs. But if they don't have that, uh, 
kind of fear of maybe dropping down, then they're in a position where they can they can really kind of look at that as a serious option and try and play the matchups because there's going to be nobody there. As you said, there is no home court advantage. It's like an AAU game. Like one team gets called the home team, but it doesn't mean shit. Exactly. And so just to put numbers behind what I just said for everybody at home, uh, the Lakers are the one seed. There's eight game. They're playing an eight game, quote unquote, it's season. It's not a season. It's like these seeding games is what they're calling them. Um, but the Lakers have a five and a half game advantage with eight games to play. Nobody's catching the Lakers. So that's tier. That's your number one seed. That's tier. That's the tier one that I was talking about. Um, tier two, the Clippers are five and a half back of the Lakers all the way down to the seven seed is the Mavericks who are uh, uh, 11 games back. So you have a five and a half math is hard five and a half game window from two to seven. And then after that, the fall off is seven whole games from the seven seed to the eight seed. So that's your kind of your three tiers. So pretty much Dallas up seven up in the West is in, and we're pretty much those bottom eight through 13 are fighting for those last two. Now, is there still jockeying that can be done between that two and seven, especially maybe between like six and three? Yes. And that was that. Yes, absolutely. And that goes back to my point as a Rockets fan. I don't want them to jock. I don't want them to go up anymore unless they're going to go all the way to the three. And and that and, and then Utah or Denver falls to the six because as a Rockets fan, the first team I want is Utah or Denver. That's the, the team I'm chasing to play is Utah or Denver in the first round. Because Utah, Joe Ingles is on surgery, and he's the only guy who can beat the Rockets. Go look at the freaking two years ago when they played in the playoffs. The only game the Jazz won, shout out Colton Shang, is Joe Ingles' miracle. Anyway, that Jazz Nuggets, don't care. Bring them on. We'll wax your ass too. So if we're chasing those two opponents at this point and not home court, what does it matter? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it'll be interesting to see if teams kind of put that into action. And if they do put it in action, like how overt it is, like, will we be able to tell what's going on as people that are viewing it? Now that we have a better idea of what this is going to look like, do you have um, a favorite out of the West and the East, um, or, or maybe even like a dark horse based on, okay, now we know what the, now we know what the, uh, the format looks like. Is there any teams that, you know, maybe in the traditional playoffs probably wouldn't have had as much of a chance, but because of this new format may, may serve as a dark horse who can kind of flip the the power structure. Well, so I, I think, uh, you know, obviously this is, I'm trying to check bias here. Um, the favorite in the West, I, I like the Clippers are, I think, even though the Lakers have the lead, I'm not buying in. Uh, I am I think the Clippers are the, the favorite, and um, I think the Clippers would win if, the, if it was the Clippers and Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. A lot of that has to do with matchups. I think Kawhi is a matchup nightmare. Um, but my dark horse, and I'm saying this because I think it's an actual thing, is the Rockets in the West. I, and and I just – because for two reasons. And, and listen, all of you at home, I, I'm looking dead at you, Carlos Villarreal, because I know you're the <laughs> one who's going to be just – you're probably screaming at your computer right now. But the Rockets have the easiest road like to, to get there. 
outside of the conference finals. I mean, if the playoffs started now, which was goes to our whole point, like I, if I think the Rockets literally have the easiest road, they if they started right now, the Rockets played Denver, and I and I'm not, I don't think Denver gives the Rockets any trouble at all. Second round, that would put them against the Clippers, that they would have to beat the Clippers, and that's their toughest matchup, I think. And that's where you're going to have a tough beat, tough matchup. They win. I think they go all the way to the finals. I think they beat the Lakers. I don't I don't think the Lakers are that great. Uh, I mean, LeBron's LeBron, yada, yada. But I think the whole in the East, it's the Bucs. Um, do, do you think there's a dark horse in the East in your mind? The Celtics. I, I The Celtics are – there's a lot of talent on the Celtics. There's a lot of talent on the Sixers too, and they just are lazy. I, I can't figure out the Sixers. That's my team that I can't figure out. There's so much talent, and they just can't put it together. Um, the Magic are young. I've been on. I've been on the Magic train for a while. Like you can ask Brian, like a bunch of people. I've been on the Magic train for a while, and um, I've been claiming they were going to make the playoffs since seventeen, and they haven't done it. And so the fact that the Magic are in, I'm happy. Do I think the Magic are going to make any noise? No, but I'm happy they're there. Um, I, I just the, the Bucks and Celtics are all I really care to watch in the East. Yeah, I think I like the Bucks in the East, which is just kind of like an easy chalk pick. Uh, I do, I I am considering the Sixers like a viable dark horse just because their ceiling is high enough, and that almost makes them a dark horse because like it it is solely based on them reaching their ceiling. In the West, I agree. I like the Clippers. Uh, I like their matchups. I also think their depth is going to be important, especially because um, just a little bit of a question of how in shape is everybody going to be and and what's that look like. So I think the the Clippers depth is going to be important and, and we'll play off for them. A very hot dark horse that I have, oh gosh, uh, got? <laughs> which is, is probably uh, not, not going to be able to be held up by any sort of statistics or rational thought. But I think uh, the Pelicans could potentially just make even just make a run to get into the eight seed and then maybe win a game against the Lakers. I mean, it, it would be more of like an awesome story because uh, of just of Zion, basically. Like that's the only reason it'd be cool for it to happen. See, I but, think it's a, a more awesome story because what the Lakers did. Like I think it's more of an awesome story for the Kings ransom the Lakers gave up to, and then the Pel- and everybody said that you know the Pelicans came out as losers on this whole deal. And it would be one year for the Pelicans to say, Hey, hold our nuts. We just are in the playoffs like, and, you know, and make a noise too. And potentially able to, I mean, can you imagine a Pelicans Lakers first round matchup where like half the Pelicans team was on the Lakers last year? Right. That's exactly it. But, and a neutral court. I mean, that's the, that's one of these situations where you're like, Anything can happen. I, I don't think the Pelicans I, – I think that's a great pick. I don't even think that's that spicy of a, of a hot take. Um, but I'll be the guy to put a bow on this since I know you're the, the transition. I'll put a bow on this, and I'm going to end this segment with a question. Um, okay. And I know that's probably a faux pas, but I want to just kind of just throw this out there. Since the NBA, the home court's disappearing, and we've kind of talked about like there's no incentive really anymore to win these last eight games that the teams are playing – that the seven through one seeds are playing they should really kind of toy with the matchups to get the to get the matchups they want um should the nba throw in some in some 
artificial incentives, some man-made incentives for those to give advantages to these teams. Um, we talked about hotel uh, early at the beginning of this. I think the there's been other proposals that the league is voting on, uh, some of which are ridiculous, in my opinion. Uh, one of my favorites was flying or driving the team's home floor uh, to Orlando and switching it out every game. Um, I, what a logistical nightmare. I, yeah, can you imagine driving the Staples Center floor all the way across to Orlando? Um, well, and then you're having to change the floor in the gym after every single game. Like that's not a quick process. It works in LA. Yeah, but they're and not playing works, six uh, It works everywhere. Uh, that part, I mean, whatever. L- look at all the teams that share basketball and hockey stadiums and how many they have to, how many times they convert that floor across a, a week, much less, a, you know, I, that conversion of the floor I think it's ridic- the the hard part is actually getting the floor from LA to Orlando versus the actual conversions and um, putting the puzzle together. But that's where I take qualms with it. But the whole bow that I'm putting on this is what are the creative ways we can can put home, give that advantage back to winning? Because I think it you have to incentivize winning to to create to keep sports the integrity together. All right, Jan, we're there. We're to that point in the show. We're at the dedicated segments. So uh, The dedicated segments. And uh, you brought up a great way of doing it last week that I think we're going to continue to play with going forward, uh, where we kind of pick the segment of the week for each of us to focus on. So do you want to go first and pick what what you want me to, to muse about? Uh, I do. I do. Um I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go your money move money move of the week from Jan. Spectacular. So just a reminder for the people at home, uh, the money move of the week is akin to Scott Van Pelt's greatest thing I saw today or tonight or whatever he is. I should probably actually like know what the fuck his segment is, but it's essentially us calling attention to something that we saw uh, that we liked that we thought was that and that we thought was good. For me this week, uh, the NFL players put together a video montage uh, tweet or they, they put together a video montage uh, that went out on Twitter um, and it was titled a message on behalf of the NFL. I love this for multiple reasons. One, uh, the message from the players involved was a message that was very important and uh, needed to be heard. So even if you just look at it from what the actual message was, it's uh, an incredible move, an incredible message. Then you look at how it actually came together. It was kind of created and put together by the players. Um, They did work a little bit alongside an NFL social media team. But the really kind of cool thing that I really liked about it was that One, the players didn't wait for the league. The players said, uh, this is something that our voices need to be heard on. So we're going to go ahead and do this this ourselves and get this message out there and not wait. And the NFL social media team that they worked with also took that same approach. This was put out before it was run, run up the ladder. So kind of kudos also to those people, um, on the side of the NFL social media who understood that this was the right thing to do and, and worked alongside the players to do it uh, before kind of getting full approval. 
And then the last thing that I really liked about it was it did immediately force the hand of the NFL. Uh, the NFL as a league then really had to make sure that they came out with kind of an airtight statement. And I think they did. Roger Goodell released a statement later in the week uh, in which the league acknowledged their wrongdoings partially uh, uh, from from the past four years and seemed to show commitment towards righting those wrongs going forward. Partially. I think partially. Uh, I think what'll be most important uh, for us as consumers uh, and and even for the league themselves and and keeping good relations with their players and their consumer base is that this whole idea of right now we have a lot of people coming out and saying all the right things and and that's great. That's that's the kind of bare minimum first step that needs to happen. Uh, including with even individuals like like you and I, you know, we we can all say the right things and and kind of get behind the message, uh, especially as the message is hot. But we need to continue to make sure that that's not where the train stops. Um, we need to help hold ourselves accountable. We need to hold um, the institutions and organizations and brands that we support accountable to uh, keep this message alive and to act on the statements that have been made this week. We need to see uh, the statements made this week turn into actions next week and uh, next month and next year and, and over the next five years. Um, so it's a, it's a great first step. I love that the players did it. Um, and, and I'm very hopeful to see uh, the kind of good and the uniting that can come on the backside of it. I think that was very well said. And I don't, I don't want to, add too much i just i think you made a very good point in that you know in 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 the past um i think that's been the big the big difference from what we're seeing now um to what has been going on in the past is it just seems like these movements people say a few words and then it just kind of runs out of gas um and i think this one's not running out of gas and if you want it to run out of gas go fuck yourself like like that's pretty much where I stand to. And if you don't like it, don't listen to me. Don't listen to the, the podcast. I don't care. I'll tank the whole thing. Like don't it, it, <laughs> it's 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 literally like don't let this run out of gas. That's really all I have to say. I love it, and I stand behind it. We don't we don't pander to any uh, listeners on this show, and and we're standing behind this just as much as anybody Hold else. On. And- we're we're a Lions fan and Houston Rockets fan, respectively. Do you do do we yeah. pander to much of anything? Like I I don't give a, like. I've been through, I can cheer for mediocrity and, and just suffer. I do not care. Like if you don't like me, don't listen. I, I, I want you to, like, I hope you do. I I think Jan and I are half-ass entertaining, but like <laughs> if you're a dick, don't listen. Now I'm looking at yours here and I'm trying to decide, uh, which one I like the best. And I think because you have one, and then you also have one. I d- yeah, I, think, I doubled down. Uh, I doubled down. I, I have strong feelings this week about something. Well, and I and I think we need to allow you to uh, get producer Kennedy's uh, fire breather of the week on the airwaves as well. So I would like you to cover both your fire breather of the week and a uh, guest fire breather of the week from producer Kennedy hashtag, uh, aka the dead Kennedys. Yeah, we can't go a week without mentioning producer Kennedy. So, um, which I mean, let me let's do basketball the mind first, just because uh, we kind of did have a our our toe in the basketball waters a few minutes ago. A few minutes ago, um, so my fire breather uh, this week, obviously with the good news of the NBA 
potentially resuming and it's it's still potential for those who don't know they we still have the money side of everything to to um sort out with the nba so we're not officially resuming yet um but unlike baseball where they can't agree upon what they've already agreed upon um basketball it seems like they've had both sides have been involved in the process pretty much the entire time so it, it seems like it's pretty much a formality at this point where we're there so um while it's not official it's damn close is is pretty much uh the basketball news so with that being said um those 22 teams that are making it that obviously leaves eight that are not um and obviously those eight that are not making it their season is done their 2020 is done or their 2019 2020 basketball season is done uh which means vince carter is officially played has officially played his last basketball game um and i'll say you know when i when that i saw this on twitter it was actually i saw the news you know that the nba was going to come back it popped up as an alert and so i went to twitter and was kind of reading about everything and one of the tweets i saw was that fence carter's done and it struck me you know because i've grown up watching basketball um I grew up with the with the trash era of the Rockets. The after they won the championships in 94-95 and then it all went to crap and they switched to the blue pinstripe pajama uniforms and Steve Francis, Katino Mobley, Mo Taylor, Kelvin Cato. Like just blue collar, take your lunch pail to work every day and lose basketball. And Vince Carter was the man like Vince. I can remember watching basketball and when the Nets rolled into town and Vince Carter, Kerry Kittles all wrote you like you wanted to watch the athleticism of Vince Carter. So I found myself um, as I usually do on Twitter in a rabbit hole of Vince Carter dunking. Which brings me to my fire breather, and I, I know that was a very long-winded way to get there, but I, it's just I feel it. We need this this week um, because we, I just after going down this YouTube rabbit hole of Vince Carter dunking. If Vince Carter is not on your Mount Rushmore of dunkers in the sport of basketball, you're wrong. Meet me in Temecula. You're wrong. <laughs> Vince Vince Carter is a stud of an athlete and deserves to be recognized as such yeah i completely agree i would be hard pressed to find a basketball fan who would who would um not put vince carter on their mount rushmore of dunkers so i think it's it's very important that one you you bring up kind of the legacy that he had and two acknowledgement that his athleticism was just like it's almost incomprehensible I, and I'll I'll say this the the most iconic dunk contest that I can remember of my lifetime and, and and it's not even close and I and all those people are probably like oh your lifetime that's great you've missed you missed Michael Jordan you missed all those whatever like my lifetime of dunks dunk contests um, there's there's two dunks that that stick out and it's not ah three I'll give you three and I can name them all in order. Number one, Vince Carter, when he sticks his elbow in the rim, is is un, it gives. I just said it, and I have goosebumps. Like it's just an unbelievable athletic feat 
when he sticks his elbow in the rim. Number two, when Aaron Gordon jumped over the Sour Patch Kid mascot, that's the Orlando, Orlando Magic and stuck the ball underneath his legs. That was unbelievable. Um, number three, Dwight Howard in the Superman cape uh, dunking. Those three are the three most iconic dunks in my life that I can remember. You know, And I don't know if you have any that are jumping to mind, but those three do it for me. And Vince Carter's sticking the elbow in the rim is, is up there. Yeah, I think that those, I don't have any additional ones that I feel uh, supersede any of those three, that's for sure. Well, so that's our, that concludes our uh, unofficial Vince Carter podcast uh, talk. (laughs) Um, Transitioning now into uh, producer Kennedy's suggested fire breather this week. And I know we kind of had an esports segment um, this week. And I think I I made the statement that, Esports is not an actual sport because they're not trying to win. They're um, the best, the highest revenue generators, I would argue, are the ones who are just personalities. And so the fire breather coming from producer Kennedy, uh, and I will back it up, and that's why I'm going to say it. Um, anyone who thinks esports is an actual sport, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, Ian, and you can, you can, um, <laughs> you know, if I, if I misspread the information that she's trying to get across here, call me out but she's basically saying gtfo if you think it's an actual <laughs> sport yeah and you know like i honestly would also jump on that bandwagon i think that as we got to the bottom in, in our work segment this week i think you and i both recognize esports as games and we recognize them also as an incredible entertainment opportunity and and entertainment entity that certainly uh, can be financially fruitful both for those who play as well as those who uh, get involved from an organization or a brand standpoint. But uh, I can't sit here and say that they are athletes any more than I could say somebody who plays chess or plays Guitar Hero is an athlete. Yeah. And I think you you brought up the thing that I think we can kind of cling to on this whole thing is you said it, it's not a, it's not a sport. It's a game. And I think you, we don't call it board sports. We call them board games. Like, and I think that's, you know, it's a, and I think yes, sports are, it's this whole squares or rectangle. Rectangle is a square thing, like not a square, whatever geometry is hard, but it, sports are games. Yes, that's true. But not all games are sports. Like, like I, yeah, there's no, I, I'm not watching a monopoly sport. It's not a sport. Right. And I, I do think that it is still important for us to, like, like I said, kind of recognize that just because we don't think it's a sport doesn't mean we don't understand the like legitimacy of it right. from I'm a not, business. I'm not standpoint. crapping on you as a revenue generator, as a, I'll call you even a business. Like I'll even go so far to say you're a business, but like. I, I just am stuck on the the fact that there's no organization to you yet and you're not all trying to win. Your highest revenue generators are not all winners <laughs> or your best players. Right. Well, and I think maybe the last the last thing is like they there have been talks about putting esports in the Olympics and 
man. So fucking help me God if that happens. There, you think there's riots now? Wait until that happens. Yon will be <laughs> at the courthouse tomorrow. <laughs> I will. I will take to the streets. So that's a good way to to wrap up our dedicated segments. And uh, let's get into your your pride and joy, your baby, the fantasy five. All right. Uh, and I want to say two things about the fantasy five real quick before we jump in. Um, there was somebody who uh listened to to our to us for the first time last week um and he made a comment he's from houston made a comment um about the fantasy five if you haven't listened i just want everybody to know the fantasy five is not my original content like the i totally poached this from my favorite podcast that i listen to it is a sports podcast okay it is the matt thomas show it is a houston-based podcast this is not my idea i didn't i'm not this is kind of a tip of the cap i enjoy listening to their show and what they do and i thought it would be fun to bring to our side so i'm not i don't want anybody to be upset that we're infringing or doing anything against that show we're not affiliated with that show like this is just something we're doing and it's fun so that's that now going to last week um Justice has finally been served in the and we finally got a a jury pool that was e- a proper representation of our peers and we finally saw some fair results come to the forefront last week uh, and we had a lambs to slaughter beatdown last week I believe the final tabulation was fourteen to six on for yours truly yeah I got uh, taken behind the woodshed and i am now unrecognizable it it was um it was a quick quick early jump uh for me i believe the scorecard got out to 10 to 1 uh before yon showed any signs of life uh so thank you to all of those out there who don't know what the hell bunch of crunch is and really know their candy tastes so i appreciate you and i look forward to your support this week um as we talk about our favorite sports movies in and and i think it's sports when i say sports movies that is too important because we are differentiating documentary type movies are being kept out so hoop dreams not allowed free solo not allowed um you get the idea okay so for those at home maybe your first time listening this is what the fantasy five is uh we pretty much pick a topic every week this week is obviously sports movies Ian and I will each pick a team of five, and we pretty much pit those two teams of five against each other. Um, and we this week, I think we uh, maybe is this the week we put it on social, or do we? Uh, I'm not sure. All right, we're going to go back to our small panel again this week, and maybe uh, the and hopefully more justice will be served. Um, but um, since I did slaughter you last week. Um, and as you know, we use the snake system because we live in a society and that, that we have rules and that's what separates us from the animals. Um, the winner of the previous week gets the choice of first overall pick or if they would like the two, three in our snake system. This week, Ian, I won uh, last week. So I don't think there is a clear and favorite number one overall. So like last week when I waxed you, um, I'm going to cede the number one overall pick to you again. Fair enough. And I think I would have probably... No, I would have definitely made the same decision if I had one. So I think I think we're at least starting off on the same page there. With the number one overall pick, I'm going to go ahead and take the Sandlot. 
that see i had that on the list um i i can't i don't know if i'm ready to make that choice uh at number one overall but i'm glad you did because next um uh, i think that i have to take this movie it is one of the most quotable movies out there um and working in baseball you hear it you hear quotes from this movie at nauseum um and i love it major league is 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 coming aboard uh to my team and i'm very i'm very happy that's there um next i'm gonna take the classic i'm gonna take the classic i think classics stand the test of time for a reason and denzel washington is the is the fucking man remember the titans taking it yeah i mean remember the titans is just safe it's on the list of titans of sports movies for sure yes i I don't know how i really thought you would go remember the titans one overall um so the fact you didn't um i you have you have a hole to dig out of i think here It, it was number two on my on my list um You'll see now with my four and five pick that I that I'll take a another football movie that was right up there with it. So I will go ahead and take Friday Night Lights, and I will piggyback Friday Night Lights uh, with Coach Carter. Ha, Timo Cruz, one of one of the best monologues in in sports movies. I, I see. I, it's hard for me normally when we do the Fantasy Five. I can get. Um, like I can, I, I have like attacks against your choices. Like the bunch of crunch from last week was just atrocious and probably was your downfall uh, for many of our votes last week. <laughs> but um, it's hard to poke holes here. Coach Carter, good choice. Sandlot, good choice. Friday Night Lights, good choice. Um, are they as good as Major League? And remember the Titans, doubtful. Uh, <laughs> next, um. Gosh, man. see, I'm torn, and this one it, uh, is hard for me just because I'm I'm tough. But I'm going Moneyball. I'm taking Moneyball because I think it's just a good movie. It, it really Brad Pitt does well, Jonah Hill does well, and it really highlights the moving forward of the sports industry to uh, to getting more analytically based. And I support it. So I'm taking that <sighs> next. I'm going back to the classics. I, I, this could be this could be another a mess up here. Going back to the classics. I'm taking Caddyshack. Get my fourth pick. Oh, devastating! It's quotable. It's hilarious. Bill Murray, the monologue of Bill Murray when it's in the hole. It, it's just one of the best best monologues in sports movies out there. Caddyshack, welcome aboard. Yeah, I was I wasn't sure where Caddyshack was going to fall on your list. I was ready to take it here with with one of my last two picks. It's just it's just incredible. It's it's one of it's a movie. It's one of those comedies that like my dad showed me before he probably should have showed me, uh, but I'm very glad that he did. Oh, it's great. Uh, you, you and and just there's so another quotable just. I'm I, and I'm noticing how much I'm about the quotable movies as I've looked at my I'm looking over my big board here. Um, hey, it's a, it's a reason why they're memorable. Exactly, exactly. All right, last pick. All right, last two picks. I'm I've sorry, got, last two picks. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I know with oh man, with, with one of them, I definitely want to go with the OG D1 Mighty Ducks. Wow. Great pick. Did not have it on my board, and I can't believe I didn't. 
I love all the Mighty Ducks movies. Uh, maybe like a month ago, I actually in one night watched all three back to back to back on HBO. Uh, but the original D one is certainly the best. And if I had to pick one to to be in my my fantasy just five, just a quarter inch, Charlie, just a quarter inch, just just a little bit. That's all it takes. Now with my last pick, man, uh, I think that I am gonna go ahead. I think I have to take Space Jam. Uh, good pick. I, I don't have. That's just a solid pick there. I, I don't have any anything negative to say about that. Um, I grew up on Space Jam. That is the that and Lion King were the two movies that uh, made me the man I am today. So I, I can't. I don't have anything negative to say. Um, gosh, and and see, this is the problem, Jan, with this with this topic is I have. I have got so many on the big board that it is just hard to it is hard to pick. Uh, so we're definitely going to have to have a little little rundown of what's left on the big board here after this last pick because there's a lot of good ones. Um, but I think I'm going to I'm going to take one of my favorite sports movies just because it's hilarious and it's a football movie and it's just good. Uh, the Longest Yard, I'm taking it. Uh, I think The Longest Yard has to be in your sports movie category just because it's funny and uh but gosh uh, there's so many being left out here Jan. um so i want to make one quick distinction i assume you're speaking adam sandler the longest yard adam sandler young longest yard um old school longest yard is on the list as well further down the big board um which there are people in my life who took alms or took were upset that i had the newer longest yard above the above the old one but um it's 2020 get with the times color tv is fun so uh here's the rundown here's where we're at after the fantasy five this week and i looking just looking at the list yon i think i got you again which would take me to four and one (laughs) um uh, so ian's team ian's team the inferior team of the sandlot friday night lights coach carter the mighty ducks d1 and space jam uh, taking on my team of major league. Um, my second, uh, where's my second round pick? Remember, oh, remember, remember the Titans. Titans. Thank you. Thank you. Moneyball, uh, Caddyshack in the longest yard. Um, so Jan, who, what Ian, what else, uh, did you have on your big board that the, the people should know about? Yeah, this was tough because when I just kind of went through and brain dumped all the movies I could think of, I came up with like 30. So to then make a big board was incredibly tough. The two that made my big board of 10 that neither of us mentioned um, were Bull Durham and Miracle. And then even from my list of ones that didn't make the big board, I pulled out um, five that I thought were worth honorable mentions. Not that any of the other like 20 aren't, but the five I wanted to highlight. Happy Gilmore, Cool Runnings, The Little Giants, Rookie of the Year and Talladega Nights. Wow. So, uh, so I also had Happy Gilmore. Um, Happy Gilmore was actually the one I was torn uh, on between that and The Longest Yard. Ne- the the next one that I was right there with in choosing two uh, was White Men Can't Jump. Um, I had up there the rookie, Rocky, $42 million baby, and Jerry Maguire. I uh, had all on the big board as well um, that, uh, frankly, I'm, I'm looking back that probably should have been selected. 
So with that, let's let's transition to our final segment, the Sayonara shoutouts. I just have one quick one this week. How about yourself? Uh, I have half a shout out, so I think you should you should probably go first. So my quick one, uh, I kind of took an ode from a segment that I see uh, from from somebody that I respect quite a bit as a, a radio host, radio DJ, a podcaster, an author, uh, a cultural savant. And that is Charlemagne the God. He has a segment every day on on the Breakfast Club radio show uh, in which he does Donkey of the Day. I think his tagline is uh, giving people the credit they deserve for being an idiot. So I wanted to give Donkey of the Day to myself because I went as I went back and listened to episode four, I realized that on multiple occasions, I said movie candy theater instead of movie theater candy. You indeed did. Yes, that was called out. And, uh, that's probably one of the many reasons I lost uh, last week's fantasy five. So I'm backing you up here because that's what teammates do. This is hard. Like I, you get a whole new appreciation for actual podcasts. I mean, I, we're, I guess we are actually a podcast now, but like, this is hard, like talking live and then going back and listening to yourself. You hear so many errors that you make and you wish you could go back and re say things. And cause there's just so many thoughts going on and you have to spew them out. So if you're roasting Ian for movie theater or movie candy theater, F yourself. <laughs> <laughs> now with that, what's your, uh, what's your half a sayonara show? Uh, I mean this, th- I think this podcast had a pretty, uh, strong basketball and pretty strong esports tinge to it. So uh, my, my shout out, um, has a basketball flavor. I want to shout out Adam silver, um, for his work as a, as a commissioner. Um, I think the coronavirus has kind of brought out a lot of, you've seen a lot of how these, how important these commissioners are and how, what they do, especially in times of crisis for sports leagues. Um, and I think it's been made apparent, uh, being that the NBA is, of the big three coming back. And I know all you people, you MLS fans that listen to us are probably like, wow, the MLS is back and they didn't even mention it. Uh, well, we know. Um, but I think just the big three, um, the NBA being the most progressive and, and being the the best equipped to get to where they are. And, and there's the least amount of fighting. Um, it seems at least publicly, uh, I think that says a lot about the work that is being done by Adam silver. And so, Shout them out. Love it. So with those uh, sign-our shout-outs to marinate uh, with you for the rest of the week, this has been the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out.